1992, I visited Berlin on a school trip. I immediately fell in love with the city. Germany had reunified only two years previously, and there was an incredible hope and optimism in the country. Gone were the authoritarian impulses that had repressed Europe since the 30s. Now they were replaced with a feeling of liberation. A couple of years after that trip, and with the help of the European Union's Erasmus programme, I went to a university not far from the iconic Brandenburg Gate, and my horizons widened. Like many, I was appalled at the result of the UK's referendum on the 23rd of June 2016. Some people decided to live in Europe rather than live in the UK with the result. These people came to be known as refugees. I'm joined by one such refugee today, Roy Mohammed. Roy's an agile coach who works with software development teams and leadership and decision makers in organisations, helping them do delivery better. After working at this for two years at a hedge fund and six years as a freelancer at a number of investment banks in London, Roy moved to Berlin in February 2017, joining a transportation startup called Flixbus. Roy and I talk about the digital scene in Berlin versus London, as well as the nuts and bolts of uprooting oneself and moving over to Germany. We recorded the show on the 20th of June, so well before any of the crazy events in Westminster. Although, you'd be right for asking which crazy events in Westminster. Anything could happen between me recording this show and publishing it. As usual, show notes can be found on ldnpodcast.com. Follow us at, on Twitter at ldnpodcast. And subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favourite uh, podcasting app. Every subscription, every rating helps us promote and improve the show. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Roy Mohammed. Hello, Roy. Hello, Kieran. Well, or should I say, viele Grüße, Roy. No, don't, because I speak very little German, including not understanding the words that you just said. So you might have actually called me a, uh, a sweaty little twat. Uh, no, I probably didn't do that. No, I just said, viele Grüße, um, many greetings. So, oh, okay. Are you the sort of Brit, Roy, who'd go on holiday, say, to the um, Spanish coast and demand fish and chips loudly and... Uh, um, no, but I am the sort of Brit who goes to raves and takes his own tea bags because um, continental tea bags are awful. No, seriously. I mean, I, I like PG Tips pyramid tea bags. Having like when I moved to Berlin, I didn't. I obviously didn't bring tea bags with me. I, I just didn't think about it. And um, until I was able to pick up a consignment of PG Tips. I didn't drink a proper cup of tea in basically like three months. It was I, I was parched and very disappointed. So I can completely relate, even though I'm not a tea drinker. Um, yeah, I was uh, quite. I lived in Berlin in the mid '90s. I was massively jonesing for curry, and it was hard to get decent curry, like yes, like you could get in England. Yeah, um, that's true. You could get, you could get currywurst, which is basically yes. curry ketchup on sausages, but it, it's just not the same. But anyway, we're talking about curry and tea and, and whatever, but the point is, you're in Berlin. I am in Berlin, yes. I 
Um, I moved here February uh, of last year, which perhaps makes it even more embarrassing that my German is no better than it was in Feb February of last year. Um, but I, I moved to Berlin from London, and in London, uh, as I am now, I was then an Agile coach, um, and I've been an Agile coach in London for about six years. Mostly, uh, most of that time was freelancing within investment banks, working on sort of Agile transformations and large IT programs. Um, and then, and then I moved to Berlin last last year, having basically just got a bit bored of London and banking and contracting and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, moved here last year, and uh, I'm now working at a uh, at a transportation startup called Clixbus, which doesn't really have much of a presence in the UK, but is massive in Europe. Right. Okay. So, I mean, when we met, we met in Copenhagen a little while ago. We did. Uh, Don Reinertsen course, which was all the maths I've, I could ever possibly cope with. Yes. And yeah. then some. Um, and I mean, I learned about the variable lambda. Yes. <laughs> <which I was laughs> so, but you were saying, yeah, you kind of got, but what, for, for the people who are listening, um, what do you mean by an agile coach? What is an agile coach? Well, the way I would describe what I do is that I work in an organization in such a way as to help bring about an environment both for uh, leadership and software developers and, of course, others, the wider business, such that business decisions are easier to take that decisions are more optimal when they are taken and that business decisions like, for example, which features to develop um, can be followed through more easily and more effectively. So obviously, you know, like uh, as a scrum master, you might work in a team and create that environment of team autonomy and all the rest of it. I do that not just on a team level, but also coaching leadership and um, business stakeholders as well to kind of think about value delivery and what value really means and of course that's that's kind of why i was also at the don reinertson don reinertson thing in, Absolutely. in copenhagen yeah 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 well he's all about value he's all about cost of delay he is uh, and a lot of his stuff made its way into shudder safe <laughs> Hey, don't, don't knock safe till you tried it. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you could say the same about heroin. That's also very true. But the thing is, is that heroin tends to end up in quite a bad, dark place. Safe ends up in a slightly brighter place. But your veins <laughs> will, but your, but your veins will be useless either with taking heroin or uh, using safe. So yeah, I suppose you do end up with the same in I the think, same place. I think that is going to be on, on the back cover of Leffingwell's next book. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. It should be. Exactly. So I'm, yeah. I'm talking to you. You, you sound as though you're in a nice big uh, <laughs> typical German parquet floored um, room somewhere. In, is presumably your flat, Roy, in Berlin? I am in my flat in Berlin. It's uh, an outbow 
fairly high ceilings, parquet floor, pretty awful for the acoustics, but it is a nice flat, none the same. And I'm looking out currently in a beautiful, lovely evening here in Berlin and um, slightly regretting the fact that I'm having to be indoors speaking to you, but that's fine. But that's fine. These are the sacrifices I make. Yeah. Well, to anybody listening to this podcast at LDN Podcast, uh, I hope you're bloody grateful. I hope they are. Otherwise, I will come around personally and sort them out. Sort them out. So, and also for people listening, so we're going to drop in a bit of Germanisms, even though you've you, you've still got your um, pork pie hat on, right? Yes. Wellies. But you, I noticed you dropped casually dropped the word Altbau in there, which is yeah. Literally old building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for people listening, if you picture just a traditional continental flat, right, with big high <coughs> ceilings, big tall doors. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Panels. Um, yes, and I'm, I'm also hoping that we don't get interrupted by the wailing and screaming of little children. Not because. There's yeah, anything you've, you've, you've taken the ones off Trump. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And not because I'm some sort of weird psychopath. Um, but because where I live is in a neighborhood that you, you'll probably know well, Prenzlauerberg, which is uh, basically a lot of young families and young kids and lots of um, women rolling around their. Uh, trams with babies and stuff and next door i have quite possibly the loudest child that has ever roamed the earth um (laughs) she's very sweet but oh god she's loud so i'm hoping and praying that uh, there'll be no wailing and screaming or if there is it won't be from a kid very good well the last guest we uh, i spoke with remotely was uh, in birmingham and he was worried he'd be interrupted by ducks so so um today's session today's podcast is called being a digital refugee so do you do you consider yourself a refugee roy in a sense so i think that you know in defining a, a refugee i suppose it's it's maybe a little bit tongue in cheek to say, you know, it's fleeing from a tyrannical regime, um, from policies in their home country, uh, which are incongruous and um, disgusting, in search of a safer and more open society. Um, I consider the tyrannical regime in the UK to be the conservative, the conservative government, and the incongruous policies to be those that centre around. Brexit. It's perhaps tongue-in-cheek to to say that, but to be quite honest, I have fairly strong views in, and I'm fairly forthright in my uh, voice, in voicing my concerns about how bad Brexit will be for all of Britons. Um, So I suppose in that sense, wanting to get away from that, um, was part of the reason that I wanted to move. But I think that there was, that, that was probably like number two or number three on, on the list. Oh, cool. I, I, think, I think the main reason was probably that, you know, I'd been working in banking from pretty much since I graduated, which was in 2007. 
um, for you know nine, ten years. And a lot of that was as a freelancer as well for about six, seven years, <clears throat> six years. And I just got quite bored and tired and worn out. And I'd reached a point where I thought I would like to go somewhere new and live somewhere different. And if I don't do it now, I don't know when or if I'll have another opportunity to do it. And I think that also kind of tied into the fact that not only was I slightly bored and tired and worn out of what I was doing in terms of where I was working, um, but I was also just bored of London itself. Um, I know they say, uh, you know, when you're tired of London, you're tired of life. Yeah. Um, which is which was perhaps true when Johnson. Samuel Johnson said it, yeah. um, you know, 200 years ago. But I don't think that's so true now. Because I, I, I have much more fun in Berlin than I had in London. So in that respect, um, I'm really glad at having left London behind. That's not to say I will never return, you know, never say never. But um, I think for, for now, I'm certainly more than happy about my decision to, to have left London about a year and a half ago. Well, it, it changes as good <clears throat> as a rest. So, That's right. So, Indeed. So you had a job in London, and then you had, what, so what, what actually made you pick that city out of all the cities? Um, so a little theory that I've got, I remember a friend of mine was telling me just after the referendum, which is almost two years ago, mm -hmm. um, um, we, and just as an aside, we still don't know what it means, um, but he told me just after the referendum, you know, he said, look, People like us, this sounds really smug, people like us don't need to worry because he was in IT as well. Right. He said, basically, London is a city pretty much just like any other, to your point about being tired of life. Yeah. Um, it is really just like, like any other. I mean, there are special things about that and, and unique properties about that city that um, are different to some others, but all the basics are available in pretty much every city around the world and pretty much anybody in our kind of working environment, social status, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, he saw himself less as a citizen of, you know, just to sort of dig, a bit of a dig at Teresa. You know, he saw himself as a citizen of everywhere, really. Right. Um how, how does that how do you can you wear that badge does that fit on you as a citizen of everywhere or, or do, you, do you consider yourself really a Londoner abroad that's a good question um I probably am more in the citizen of anywhere camp mm. um but it, you know what's really funny is that and I, and I was thinking about this the other day that when I read the news online I don't read about Berlin news. I read about London news, which is really odd because obviously I don't live there anymore. No. But there is a a strong there, there is a there is a obviously I'm kind of still a strong connection there. So even to the point where I'm reading about London news every day. So in that respect, yeah, I do still consider myself to be a Londoner, but I'm not, you know, I'm not pining for the, uh, you know, I'm not pining to go back to, to West London. And, 
you know, I think it's maybe just the fact that I read about London news, maybe just out of force of habit. Do you know what I mean? It's something that I've always sort of done. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I probably consider myself first and foremost a citizen of kind of everywhere, but albeit with fairly strong links and interests back to London anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. When I was living out there, I I because um, I love reading Private Eye. Yes. Uh, here in the UK, I think I gave you my copy of Private you Eye. You certainly did. Yes, and I enjoyed it immensely. Oh, good good use then. That's good. It did. Well loved. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the equivalent in Germany is a magazine called Titanic, and I just I have no clue of the context every time right. I read it. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what's making you um, lean more towards looking at news from back home maybe yeah i think that's also uh, i think that's also probably true good point so there you are looking for, um <coughs> thinking about picking a city and picking berlin in particular so what, yes what was it specifically about berlin um this i still don't quite get yeah so i think i think two reasons one is that there is a really thriving and burgeoning tech scene over here and there has been for quite a while but it, it really seems like it's kind of accelerating and mushrooming right now mm. so from a kind of a from a work perspective obviously working in tech it was an attractive place to explore and look into into moving here I think on the second kind of aspect, and may, actually I say second, but probably equal first, is the fact that there is like an amazing social scene over here. And it's just very chilled out and relaxed. So, I mean, whether you're kind of into going to raves or just having a quiet drink on the river or just like kind of hanging out, it's things are a lot slower the pace of life here is a lot slower it's a lot more relaxed therefore it's a lot less stressful i mean if i compare you know getting around the city of berlin versus london i mean london is an absolute nightmare and whenever i got the tube there'd be it'd be buggered it was hot and sweaty and crowded and there'd be something going wrong and just generally making my day horrible. Mm. Now it's like, well, actually I'm in walking distance of loads and loads and loads of stuff. So that even takes public transport out of the equation. When I do have to take a tram or uh, a tube, oh, I'm not going to say it's a pleasure, but it's, a hell of a lot more bearable than doing so in London because there are just so few people who are kind of using the infrastructure in any at any one given time in Berlin. So it's just a lot more relaxed. So I think a combination of it being a the home of a very thriving and burgeoning tech scene added to you know the, the pace of life, the quality of life and the social scene as well. And, and that was and actually the, you know, the aspect of going out and partying was definitely a, uh, a, a strong consideration because I like going to raves and there is oh, yeah. genuinely nowhere better. I mean, I've been to raves in like so many different cities, whether it's 
New York or Chicago uh, or Detroit or Amsterdam, London, Berlin, like loads of places. And Berlin is just, it's the winner hands down. My word, there are so many topics here, right? So uh, let's go with raves. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what are you into musically? Uh, I'm into sort of quite dark, heavy, quite fast, maybe 132 to 136 BPM techno. Primarily it's techno. Um, and actually there is, there is a lot of, there is a lot of techno in Berlin. And I, I would say whether it's Monday or Sunday or any day in between, you can go out and find some pretty good techno. I, as I've got older, and probably my angst, my general angst has grown, um, have moved more into sort of harder, darker, more esoteric industrial techno. And there is quite a lot of that in Berlin as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the shit I'm into, man. Whoa. Yeah. When, when I was out there, it was all, the, the, all just the big, fat Frankfurt sounds, you know, that were right, okay. in Berlin. Yes. In Interesting what you were saying also about transport. Um, I'm really pleased to hear. I mean, I, I get out to Berlin maybe once a year at most. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's interesting that, yeah, your experience as a regular commuter is still very, very good. Um, I, I had a, just to mix the two topics of raves and transport, I remember I came out of VMF, which was a big club back then. Right. And uh, I went to get a night bus. And I went to the night bus station. It was something like 4.30 in the morning. I went to a night bus. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit of a lightweight leaving at 4.30. So, um, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to say it, so I'm glad yeah, you did. Right, I mean, 4, yeah. 4.30, I mean, come on, what are you thinking? I mean, come on, as a student, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I went to the night bus station, uh, to the night bus stop, and uh, there was a policeman doing the rounds. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you don't see much of that. Right out in the yeah. middle of nowhere in London, so much as a Bobby on the beat really anymore. I thought that's interesting. So I go up to the station and look at the look at the timetable, and there are no night buses going. I'm like, the hell? So I say to the policeman, "Oi, <laughs> <laughs> oi, oi, there, you there? <laughs> hey, Buller. Which is a very offensive thing to say to a policeman. Right. Um, Hey, uh, what's with the night buses? And he's like, "What do you mean? What's with the night buses?" Well, and, and what's really good about the uh, the Berlin night buses is the Berlin night buses follow exactly. Maybe they maybe they don't anymore, but they followed back then exactly the same route as the tube. Right. Which I thought was really sent, made sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Rather in London, Agreed. they go all wherever. Yes. Uh, and he said, he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Look, there's no night buses." And he said. Well, if there are no night buses, the tubes are running. I was like, yeah, but it's 4.30 in the morning. And he's like, yeah, so? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, just got, I, just, I just got the tube home at yes. 4.30 in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I mean, um, I... And actually, even last Saturday, um, I, I, I was out on Friday night. I got back at 3 a.m. taking public transports and there was a DJ who was playing at a club who I really wanted to see at 8 a.m. so 8 a.m. on the Saturday morning so I came back 
I um, went to bed. I set my alarm for six o'clock. I got up at quarter past six and I prepared myself, I readied myself and then got public transport to this, to this, uh, to this club. So, I mean, what more of a ringing endorsement can I give to a public transport infrastructure to say that I came back from a night out of bar hopping by using public transport and then went just a few hours later to a rave using public transport. I mean, that's, that's a ringing endorsement. If ever Absolutely, surely. And if, and, and if if you didn't have that available, you might have been disincentivized to go out some <clears> more, <throat> which would have depressed economic activity in the city. I mean, having That's a true. network like that, yes, is, yeah, optimizes the system. Right. Exactly. So, so we we've probably um, people listening to this are probably starting to wonder a bit more about uh, about actually what we're going to talk about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I for one enjoyed reminiscing about the the Uban. Yeah. So, so when you made the move, what talk, talk to us about that. I mean, how, how was that? Was it tricky to do? I imagine uprooting all your stuff and moving to another country is peculiar. Yeah, it was, it was definitely peculiar. And it was, also, it was also a bit of a nightmare because um, I, I had to obviously, like, you know, take all my stuff out of the flat and put it into storage and then pack all the stuff that I needed to bring with me and then get the flat rented out and this and that and paperwork and this and that. So there was a lot of stuff to do on the kind of the, the London side. Yeah. That was a real headache. And it was, I mean, there was, there was probably about a month where it was just complete stress, complete, complete stress. Um, so that that wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience. However, I must say that things on the Berlin side were a lot less stressful. Um, I mean, Flixbus, which is where I work, were really, really helpful in helping me find a flat, which is kind of the one massive stress that most people uh, experience when they move to Berlin because right. I, d I don't know if people know, but the, the the housing market here is completely dysfunctional. I mean, it's oh. it, it, utterly dysfunctional. So, so basically, it's it's people subletting their flats to their friends, and then they're subletting from other friends, and it's just. It's just a complete nightmare. In London, at least there is, well, in the rental market anyway, quite a lot of transparency in that I can go on Zoopla, Rightmove, whatever, and I can see all the flats that are in a certain area up for rent. And then I can make appointments and go to see them. Here, um, the, there's, there's so much demand and there's so little supply that actually makes it onto the market because a lot of the time people are just rent subletting their flats to, to other people. Um, so it's, it's entirely dysfunctional. And in addition to that, because, that, because supply is so tight and demand is so huge, when you go to these viewings to, to 
rent. These are, these are viewings to rent a flat. When you go to these viewings, you're in the, you're in the pool with 60 other people. Six zero. Six, six zero. I went to a viewing and this flat was horrible. I mean, it was grim. It looked just grim. And I went along. I, I remember this distinctly. I went along. This was, I think, my, my second week uh, at work. And I went to this appointment. It was at 5.30. And it was actually here in Prenzlberg, maybe about 20 minutes from where I live right now. And I went to this, I went to this flat and when I was outside, I thought, Jesus, this place looks, looks utter shite. I walked in and the queue of people who were there for the viewings was stretching down the stairs. So it becomes a complete lottery, like a, just, a, a, just a complete lottery. So that was, probably the most well that was certainly the most stressful thing i think i got very lucky to get this place uh i just kind of got in contact with someone who was able to help me out who then uh organized a viewing so i think i was super lucky to get this place but so was that was that an agent or was that a buddy or yeah it was kind of a a, a buddy of an agent who i was who i was putting contact with through flixbus um, so it was kind of, you know, like uh, three degrees of separation, but it was so useful because when I, when I, when I, uh, when I came here and when I was speaking to people, I mean, I was hearing real horror stories about how long it took people to find a flat here. And this is just, this is not a perfect flat, it's not the dream flat and the dream area. It's just, just like a half decent flat that people were looking for. And it was taking them months, Kieran. So yeah. it kind of filled me with a lot of dread. But as I say, thankfully, uh, I moved into this place, oh, I guess, what, within about three, four weeks of landing here. So it worked out pretty well and very, very quickly. That's really interesting. Um... My own experience moving over for the for a year was uh, I had a friend, and she was moving to England for a year. So uh, we just did a flat swap, effectively. Nice. Um, so, what about sort of the famous or infamous um, bureaucracy? So, I mean, the, the the bit that you've described there with the dysfunctional housing market was a surprise, but yeah, um, because people do like to talk about the rental market in Germany being less horrendous than the one in the uk mm -hmm. um so that that's really interesting but uh i remember there being a lot of bureaucracy forms to fill in they love this yes yes, right? yes there is a lot of that there is there is a lot of that so basically when you when you go and register so you have to basically sort of get this appointment to register with the cities so that you can become a, a berlin resident an official paid up Berlin resident and um, the problem that I had was that um, I, I as we've already established my German is not exactly I mean I'm not fluent Kieran I'm not fluent that's right. safe to say and in these kind of like official you know, registration, you know, the, these kinds of places, 
Um, I think I think their attitude, the attitude of the people who work there is, well, you're in Germany, pal, so speak German. And if you can't, that's your problem. So that was a bit of a challenge because I went there initially and I, I sort of went on a bit of a wild goose chase to the point where I, all, I was just exasperated. I nearly gave up where I'd had two or three different appointments in different parts of the city and the overriding, so the common denominator was going there and just trying to appeal to people's good nature to say, listen, I can't speak the lingo, but there must be someone around here who can. Mm. So just do me a favour and just get that person and we can be done with this in 10 minutes flat, right? Ah. That, that, yeah, no, that, that, that didn't even, happen. Even if you could speak the language, I guarantee you wouldn't be done in 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, you're, you're right. Yeah, well, just get me someone who can speak the lingo and we'll be done in 60 minutes flat, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah exactly. Um, but, so as it was, in the end, I actually had to go with a friend from work who she very, very kindly said, okay, Roy, I'll come along with you and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with this. Um, I mean, that was after a lot of wasted hours uh, on the phone and hours traveling to places in the arse end of nowhere and waiting in queues only to really not know what the hell I was doing. It was, it was pretty painful. So that's the one thing that I'd say, is that for anyone who comes over here, if you speak German, fantastic. Like you can race through the bureaucracy, probably pretty, uh, not quickly, but efficiently. If you don't speak the lingo, then I can only advise that you just befriend a German who would be willing to accompany you to yeah. these sorts of things because it's just like such a help if you've got that support fantastic well that's brilliant um so that that all of that was happening so you i mean one of the things you mentioned was registering with the city which i believe they call unmelden that's right correct yeah, yeah. so that's that that i didn't like that experience that felt very much like papers please yes yes um, because of, in, in England, you move cities, you don't have to register with the police or, mm -hmm. or the authorities to say that you've moved house quite yeah. in the same way. I'm sure they can work it out, but, mm -hmm. like with council tax and stuff, but you don't have to officially announce your presence. That's um, right. Yeah, so that's, I found that a bit alien too. But I guess that means that um, efficiently enough, they actually know where people are. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true they do know where i live they know uh, where you live exactly <laughs> which, <laughs> they know. Uh, which they didn't in the uk and which right. means we're not able to control borders in the way that the germans can yes that's very which, true which ironically was one of the things that led to the referendum result just indeed that. indeed that's that's very true also just if anyone if anyone moves to germany um just be prepared for the fact that to open a bank account 
Um, it's it's a nightmare. So there are there are there are good banks out there. For example, N twenty six is very good. ING Deber also very good. However, you you need to have been a resident for I think three or or maybe it's six months before you're eligible to open up one of the an account at one of these two banks get out really yeah yeah that was that was what um that that was what threw me actually that that's that's what stopped me from opening up account an account because I said all right how long have you been in the city uh okay i've been here like you know a month oh no come back in two months or three months or something like that so all right fine couldn't i couldn't do that so uh, the one i plumped for um was Commerce Bank. Okay. Now, when I when I think about opening up a bank account, I've just got the image of sitting down in front of a computer. It's just bish bash bosh. Five minutes. I might get something in the post, and then it's just it's done. Right? It's it's done. Very little overhead, and it doesn't take very long. Nothing, Kieran prepared me for the horror that is opening up a commerce bank account. It's, it takes, okay, so you have to do it in branch, right? right? Where no one speaks English. Or rather, there's one person who speaks English, which means he's completely inundated with appointments. So I had to wait four weeks for an appointment with this fella, this English-speaking guy in the Commerce Bank branch. So I thought, okay, four weeks later, let's just get this thing done. He's not going to need that much information from me. This is just going to be a 10-minute bish-bash-bosh. Yeah. Kieran, 90 minutes, nine zero minutes later, I'm still filling out paperwork and forms and he's still reading like promotional material to me. And his name, his name is Torsten. I said, Torsten, uh, I, I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not interested in this. Like you don't need to read this. And he said, no, 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 listen, cause you might be interested. And I was like, I don't need pet insurance. All right. I don't need it. But it says on here, I have to do this. Exactly. I, I, I was in a bank a few weeks ago in Germany, and yeah. uh, I had to do some something. And uh, the guy's like, "Oh, okay, you're so so you're from England, Mister Hanway." And I said, "Yes." Uh, and then we 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 made a couple of gags about it. And then he said, um, it, "It took ages to go." He had he had to fill out a piece of paper that he then had to type into a computer that he then had to print that I then had to fill in. Ugh. Uh, and then and then he goes so um so what do you do for a living and i said oh, i work in digital transformation you know i try to sort of make this sort of thing a little bit more efficient and he went ah oh, okay okay so how would this go in a bank in england hmm? and he looks really like how's that then you know right and I said, yeah well it'd been a lot quicker <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and he he was crestfallen. Oh so, no. So so their language struggles and and such like and and then there's complexity about being a man abroad. Yes. 
so uh, do, do you see this do you see your position changing after next year uh, March next year the Brexit day I mean I I genuinely don't know it's like I mean I I, I I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I'm almost lost for words because the mm. ineptitude that has been shown by um, Theresa May, David Davis and Boris Johnson is astounding. I mean, it's ineptitude on an astounding scale. I don't know how we can trust these guys to negotiate the intricacies of UK expats rights. I have no confidence in these guys. And because of that, I I don't think the negotiations are really, I mean, from what I read, they're not going so well. And there is, from what I can gather, an increasing risk of no deal. Um, yeah. And in well, the event of no a bad deal. deal. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> Although it's uh, still not as good as the deal we had two years ago, is it? No. Oh, you're just talking the country down, Roy. Yes, yes, of course. Sorry, I mustn't do that. Um, so I, I, I really don't know. I, what are my expectations? My expectations are that something terrible will possibly happen. Because whether it's bad deal or no deal, I, 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 I just have a fear that something bad will happen. Um, and, and this is partly the thing is that, you know, with the uncertainty, in, in a way, in a way, ignorance is, is bliss because I am quite ignorant of a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in much the same way as Teresa, David and Boris are. So, I think in some ways it's easier to kind of just deal with it because I'm quite ignorant and I don't know the intricacies of where the negotiations are at with expats' rights. But I, but also whilst ignorance is bliss, that uncertainty is a little bit sort of it is clearly a, a bit of a concern and it is it is it is slightly frightening because I don't know what things are going to look like if you're a UK, if, if you're a Brit living in Germany or France or Italy or wherever it might be, I don't know where you're going to stand in 12 months time. No idea. And yeah, I can imagine your your fate is no longer in your hands. Oh, it's, it's, well, it's definitely, it's definitely not. Um, I mean, I, I'm hoping that common sense prevails. Admittedly, that's what I was hoping um, before the referendum, and I was sorely mistaken. So I'm hoping that common sense now prevails, which is that a deal can be struck and crisis can be averted, and you know that just that people can sort of come to their senses, and and that crisis is averted. But I I have to say that I am not entirely confident that that will happen, and that there may, as I say, be something horrible that does happen. That um, that that is bad news. Well, with the with the best will in the world, I hope not to see you here. <laughs> well, well, I mean, unless unless you want to go back to London at some point, but um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, this is the thing: is that uh, with the best will in the world, I hope I never see you again. 
Either yeah. in London, either in London or Berlin. To be honest, oh. I just hope I never see you ever again. Thanks. Uh, that that's all right. Mate. A lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's really good. Maybe I'll have that on my gravestone. You know. <laughs> So hey, um, we apart from the paperwork, what are Berliners like? The Berliners are a very lovely bunch. Uh, they're they're very, I, I'd say in general, very friendly, very warm and friendly people, very open minded, and um, also very willing to speak English a lot of the time. And I think this is sort of a real difference in culture between. Um, people in Berlin and maybe people in the UK or, or people in London, which is that, and I'll, I'll put myself in this category, which is that I am not, I'm not a particularly confident linguist. Um, I, I, I get nervous when I, when I speak other languages and I get all shy and retiring and I, I'm constantly in fear of just making a bit of a tit of myself when I speak German. And this fear has crippled me into not speaking the language. Um, from what I can, from my experience, Berliners are not really like that. They actually really like speaking English. And more than that, they kind of like it because they, they like to improve, like people in Berlin really like to improve their English as well which is just this really admirable thing, far from being crippled with fear, they actually see it as being a challenge that they, that, that, a challenge and a skill that they want to improve at and hone, which is obviously quite useful for me because it means that uh, I don't need to speak so much German. Um, but I'd say that's probably the one, the one thing that I didn't expect. I think, because you know, there's this like, you know, this, Berliner schnauzer, right? Yeah. This whole kind of, oh, you, you know, like, oh, we're Berliners and we kind of turn our noses up at people. For, for, for listeners, that it's, it's a bit analogous maybe to the, to the stereotype you have of those sort of hard-nosed New Yorkers. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, I have met, in the last year and a half, I have met maybe just a handful of people who I'd say that does, that well, that did apply to. But I mean, considering how many people I met and how many conversations I had, I mean, it's, 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 it's negligible, right? So I have to say that the, the people of Berlin, the people I met uh, since moving here are genuinely uh, fantastic, welcoming, fun, uh, intelligent people they they really are um i think there's kind of an interesting cultural thing going on at the moment in berlin and probably oh, yeah. has been for the last few years which is that it is becoming much less important to be able to speak german in berlin because a lot of people from all over the world whether it's different parts of europe or even america are moving to Berlin and so English is it's almost becoming like the lingua franca of Berlin which is a kind of an interesting cultural point because I I can imagine that I, I mean 
I would I would have assumed that this would be a little bit jarring for people who either were born here, raised here, or at least speak German, right? But it doesn't seem to be as jarring to Berliners as I imagined it would be. So I think it's just kind of an interesting cultural thing going on at the moment where I think maybe in a few years, perhaps it will be the case that actually you really don't need to speak any German at all. And the majority of people, maybe in a few years time, won't know how to speak German, which wow. I guess it's going, to become, it's going to become such a melting pot. Yes. That, uh, that the, the actual indigenous language is going to be seldom heard. I I would say that you know it will it will be heard. I don't know about seldom heard, but I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's just going to be the case where actually you just don't need it to get. You just you just won't uh. need it because a lot because so many people from so many different countries who all speak English will just be living all over Berlin, which to an extent happens at the moment. But I can see that developing further and further over the coming years cool okay so so the people are nice there's a lot of english so apart from apart from the bureaucrats who don't really want to speak to you in english maybe they go home and they speak fluent english at home maybe i think they do i think they do uh, uh, so, like in in a working sense, then what what's different between the UK and the German sort of work scene? It's in a, in a way I don't want to um, I don't want to compare apples with oranges here because where I you know where I used to work um, in London was in investment banks with a certain maybe demographic or type of person, which is not to generalize and say that oh, everyone who works in banking has a certain type of personality. Of course, that's, that's, that would be a gross and unfair in generalization. Yeah, it'd be unfair to say the W is silent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite. So, so, and, and where I work now is um, a startup, or at least it's kind of at this at this phase between startup and corporate. In that it's it's you know Flixbus has grown hugely and very very quickly to now uh, over a thousand uh, employees. So whether it's whether we can call it a startup anymore, I actually don't think we can. But um, it's it's it is different comparing Flixbus, and which is in a certain business domain, transportation, um, and for example, you know J.P. Morgan or HSBC or RBS. So, I think this is the thing: is that I can I can do a compare and contrast, but it feels like I would be comparing apples with oranges because it's just it's just different. It's not comparing London with Berlin. It's comparing banking with a large startup for example yeah, yeah so, um so more bean bags than but but it's not fair to compare that makes sense yeah exactly i mean having having said that i i, I will i can do a compare and contrast and you know people can just kind of take it with a pinch of salt which is that 
now I work with, with some of the most motivated people I've ever worked with. They are genuinely, genuinely good at what they do. Um, whether that's on the leadership side, who tend to have a real clear vision and are very bought into um, building an environment for team autonomy and for people to really express themselves and transparency and, and kind of all that good stuff. Mm. Or whether it's, you know, at the team level where you have quite technically mind, very technically minded people who are just really damn good at what they do. I work with some really, really good people, much better, dare I say, than many of the people whom I worked with in banking. And again, I'm not going to make a gross generalization. However, what I would say, but, <laughs> but, but I'm, going to make, I'm going to make a, not a gross generalization, but a small one uh, anyway, which is that I worked in, you know, I worked with many people who were contractors, did the bare minimum, and to be quite frank, really didn't give a shit about what they were working on or what the value they were adding was or what the outcomes they were delivering looked like, right? It was, well, listen, Kieran, I'm going to get paid this week, right? Regardless of how much work I do, because I get paid on a daily rate. And I think that kind of, that, that attitude has, and indeed probably for some time, has pervaded the, the, the kind of the IT departments or tech departments throughout all banks. I mean, this is not just one place. It's all over the place. I know people who are basically just doing sod all and who are just kind of going from one contract to another or getting their contract rolled over because they don't want to challenge the status quo. Because if they do a whole bunch of stuff and they're really amazing at delivering stuff, they get cut early, right? And so this is the thing is that my problem is not maybe so much with the people it's just, it's the system, man. It's the system. So, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? People are nice. Um, we were compare, trying to compare startups with banking, but that doesn't work really. Yeah. Um, so tell me more generally, kind of more macro, what, what you're observing here with the um, tra digital transformation scene in Germany. So there's, there, is a, there is a hell of a lot going on. Um, and I think more, more broadly, there is kind of more willingness and more acceptance now than perhaps there was previously to decentralize control, to have, to, as, I said, as I mentioned before, sort of build this environment for autonomous teams to work within parameters that are kind of defined by the leadership and then teams just go off and work within these broad parameters and just do what they just do what they want. Um, and I think there is more acceptance for that being a preferred way of working because you know obviously 
it inspires motivation. People actually want to get up from work in the morning when they know that they've got that responsibility, when they've got that accountability, and, and, and that comes with autonomy, right? So I think there is there is there is broadening acceptance that that is a preferable within tech anyway way to work and comparing it to to london um you know is is berlin ahead of london in the kind of the, the digital scene or indeed the kind of the mindset i i'm not sure because there are still um you know a lot of there are still a lot of traditional German companies out there that are quite hierarchical, that have a centralized control base and are very much behind the curve. That I'm sure is true in London as well. But I guess my feeling from having worked in tech in London for, for a while and having worked here in tech for about a year and a half, my feeling is that London is probably ahead of Berlin, but I do think that gap is closing. And dare mm. I say, maybe Berlin one day will be, one day soon, will be ahead of London in certain areas. It wouldn't surprise me. I was reading mm -hmm. some, uh, so I'm doing some research anyway into the, into the Germany market um, for various reasons. And a lot of the articles that I was reading in the German press seem to focus really very heavily, not when you're looking for digital transformation stuff. All of the articles seem to be about how many hundreds of thousands of kilometers of fiber optic they've been laying mm -hmm. rather than actual digital transformation, which is trying to make things like my bank experience and your bank experience actually um, easier. Mm -hmm. you know? So that their view of digital transformation still seems to me to be very industrial. Um, yes. It's about stuff that you install rather than ideas that you create. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah, that, that I agree with. But I, but I do think that's changing, Kieran. I really yeah, do think yeah. that's changing, like changing fast. Cool. Yeah. Oh, well, loads to play for then. Indeed. So, I think so. So it's just you? Yeah. Or, or is it? I mean, how, how many other... Well, can I, I, I offered the label refugee, but I, I'm not entirely sure it fits. How many others are there? Um, well, I, I actually met one um, in, at this rave on Saturday. It was Saturday afternoon. And um, yeah, I was outside sitting, sitting down in an open space. And uh, I was talking to a... Uh, a refugee. She was. She, she was just a regular refugee. She wasn't a digital refugee. Ah, oh, okay. I should make that very clear. She was just a regular, like bog standard refugee. There was no was... digital. There was no oh, digital okay. associated with that. So there was yeah. no. There was no qualifier of digital. So what was she uh, refugeeing as? What was she working as in Berlin? She is. Uh, she's actually an English teacher. And she was from she was from Newcastle, which I didn't necessarily think that I don't necessarily when I think of English teacher, a Geordie isn't necessarily the first person that comes to mind. So that was my shock. Not oh, that yeah, she but, was actually Come on, and, to be fair, they have to learn English in Newcastle, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> they do, but they just haven't got round to speaking it particularly well. <laughs> 
<laughs> tin, tin hat on, get your pants <laughs> on. <laughs> um, but no, in, in all seriousness, no, she was, uh, she was, actually, actually um, when she told me she was from Newcastle, I was quite shocked because she didn't have a Geordie accent at all. And she told me, this is, this is no word of a lie, she said, no, Roy, I actually suppressed the Geordie accent and I try and speak posh. And, and she did the inverted commas. She said, I try and speak posh English now. Having said that, she still calls a bath a bath and grass grass. So okay. you okay. draw your own conclusions, Kieran. Well, so so in Germany, you've maybe experienced Hochdeutsch and then Dialect. Yeah, yes, so, yeah. So there's like the High German, which is yeah. like the received pronunciation equivalent perhaps in english uh, and then you have your regional dialects yeah yes so that makes sense so she's just yeah. trying to make herself understood in germany yes exactly so so i guess you know how but, it, but it's quite strange because i thought that i would meet a lot more british people who'd moved here recently i want to say recently you know the last couple of years or so I thought that I would have met a lot more. Mm. And I don't know whether it's just where I hang out or rather where, maybe where I don't hang out. Um, I don't know, but I thought I would have met a lot more because, you know, there's, there's a lot of jobs in tech in Berlin. And Berlin is, um, it's a lot cheaper than London. Sure, yeah. the cost of living is going up in Berlin as more and more people uh, like me move here, but it is still significantly cheaper to live in Berlin than in London. And the quality of life in Berlin is much better, in my opinion, than in London. So with all those kind of compelling reasons to move, and indeed those are the reasons why I moved, I was quite surprised that more people haven't hadn't moved from from Britain and maybe more specifically from London, which um yeah I'm sort of I was sort of scratching my head about that because it is it is pretty much a sort of a once in a blue moon me meeting a Brit in in Berlin. There aren't I haven't encountered so many of them. Are you meeting Are you meeting diff, lots of other Europeans or are you meeting um, Germans primarily? Um. I'd say it's kind of half Germans, half other Europeans. So I, I know um, obviously a lot, of, a lot of Germans, but I also know some Swedes, some Danes, some Italians, um, and also actually even a lot of people, a lot of people from outside of Europe as well. I know, oh, yeah, I know a few, a few. I know a few Americans. I know a few South Americans. So um, yeah, I guess it's. It's, I'm, I'm lucky to say that I know a bunch of people from a bunch of different places with a bunch of different backgrounds. You know, and, you know, and by no means are all these people who I referred to like people who work in IT. Not, not at all is, is that. So, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky in that I just seem to have met by hook or by crook a real kind of variety of people from all these different places, from all around Europe and indeed all over the world, um, who all just happen to be, you know, particularly lovely. So, um, mm. yeah, it's it's a real it's a real mix. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. Okay. And do you think um, do you think the balance is shifting out of London? Um, what with the Brexit? Do you think do you think things are going to accelerate more towards Berlin, Amsterdam? But elsewhere, I don't know what the other hubs would be. Paris, presumably. For- yeah, and Frankfurt, maybe for banking. Frankfurt, yeah, yeah, I, I do, I, I do think that that will will happen. And I just kind of take a common sense, a common sense view on this, which is that you know, if you if you're a company that wants to trade and do business globally. Do you want to base yourself in an outward-facing country or a, you know an outward-facing city that leverages synergies with other countries, or do you want to base yourself in a city which is increasingly kind of cutting off those ties with other cities? Which, unfortunately, I think is what will happen with London. I mean, if you look at, for example, you know, the effect of the potential effect of Brexit in uh, banking, you know, with, uh, with all this stuff going on, it's obvious that things are going to move. Uh, many jobs will move to Paris and will move to Frankfurt. And, and, and Frankfurt is really preparing for that as well. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of stuff, exactly. And a lot of stuff that I read is people in Frankfurt sort of, you know, they're, they're rubbing their hands in glee because they know that jobs that will, that jobs will move from London to Frankfurt. So for me, I think it's, it's just a common sense thing. I also think that this, what's true for Frankfurt will probably be true for Paris as well. So, Roy, Roy you're not one of those filthy experts, are you? <laughs> um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim to be one at all. And if oh, I did, right, then, then we'll exactly. If if I did, if I did, then clearly no one should ever listen to me. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but no, I just, I just kind of take a common sense point of view. And I think that you know, banking is one example. Um, you know, I think maybe staying with the kind of the tech theme. Um, I think fintech will also. Start to really, really gain traction uh, more in in Berlin, and actually fintech's massive in in Berlin. Admittedly, no, nowhere near as big as London. But the thing is, I I think that comparing, uh, in many ways, comparing London to Berlin now is is not is not so helpful. I think what's more helpful is to look at the trend and where things are going and to look at the inflows of cash into these industries and then just kind of throw that forward and project that forward in maybe not even, you know, one, two, three years time, but five years time, 10 years time. I fully expect that Berlin in, for example, fintech, I fully expect and therefore it wouldn't surprise me at all if Berlin is a bigger fintech hub than London, now that seems like a long way off, seems fairly unthinkable. But I think that in 10 years time, that's more than plausible. So I think when you start looking at the trends and when you start looking at you know the way things are going, I am becoming increasingly pessimistic for London and more and more optimistic about Berlin and well, indeed other places as well, like Paris and Frankfurt and, and Amsterdam. 
Yeah, so uh, there was a tweet uh, end of April from Robert Peston, the journalist. He's noticed uh, from latest OECD figures there's a 300 already uh, a 300 billion negative swing on foreign direct investment. Right. To and from the UK, mm-hmm. which which means already, oh no, we haven't left yet, already there's a massive effect, mm-hmm. um, which is only ameliorated somewhat by the uh, the fact the pound crashed, right? Yes. So everything's yeah. cheap, so people mm-hmm. are like, oh, well, everything's cheap, we'll buy stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. It is about the trend and the trend's starting. Absolutely, yeah. So... So if people are looking to, um, you know, make the move, where where should they go and look up jobs or tips on, ref, you know, references how to move or, or you know, property information or any of that? Where, where did you, how did you start research, Roy? What did I do? Um, I had, so when I moved to, or when I was looking to move to Berlin, uh, I had one, I, I had one friend who lived in Berlin and my initial thought was, okay, she will be super useful and she will tell me everything that I need to know. Um, but she was having a baby at the time. And I, th- I mean, I think this is quite unreasonable, but for some reason, I wasn't exactly on the top of her list of priorities at that time. Um, she was telling me that her baby took priority, which I was fairly upset about because I think I should take priority pretty much over everything and everyone. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so that was a, so that was a kind of a, 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 a well of information that I couldn't tap. There was, so what, what did I use in the end? So I was looking for, I was looking at, there's one website, which is Toy Town Germany. ToyTownGermany.com. We'll put which, in the uh, show notes for all of this stuff. That yeah, cool. Yeah. So that so that was uh, that was pretty reasonable. Uh, that was pretty good. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of British people just kind of uh, you know saying stuff like, oh, why can't we get PG tips in Berlin and stuff like that. So awesome. People people from the UK will feel very much at home reading stuff on that website because it is there's a lot of Brits. Uh, who are posting on that website? So, so um, you know, like you know, like here in London, right? I, I've mm-hmm. got to ask this. You know, like here in London, because there never there was no shop like this when I lived in Berlin. Here in London, if you want to buy, like, there's a ta- a street called Drummond Street near Euston, which mm-hmm. is just basically full of Indian restaurants and shops. So you can go down there. You can get pan, which is like this leaf stuff that you chew. Yeah. Or, you, or there's a shop there you walk in and it just honks of spice. So you can just buy any spice, like massive sacks of, I don't know, cloves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, of course, there's Chinatown. You can go there and you can get any kind of sauce you want or bit bits of animal that you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, or, or worse still, durians, which, you know, honk. Yes. <laughs> right? So... But I never saw in Berlin like an English shop. Like, let's go and get, a, let's go and buy a box of PG tips. We're running out. Let's go down to the English shop. Yeah, is there such a thing. Um, there is one place that I know of, but it's really, really small. And calling it an English shop would just be—I'm just setting the expectations way too high. 
Um, it's like you, you could get kind of, well, like shortbread biscuits and oh. PG tips and stuff like that. But it's, it's not a huge range of stuff. So no, there isn't, there's, there's not an English shop on, on that kind of, on that kind of scale. So mainly what I just do is if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm back in London, I just get, you know, I just get the 240 tea, PG tips, tea bag box and just bring it back with me. And as long as I do that once every few months, and I'm, I'm golden. But, um, yeah, it's, some of this stuff is, is quite tricky. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to source. It's very hard to source. Um, but yeah, other, other than that, I'm just trying to think what other kind of websites and stuff that I use. When I, when I was searching for a place, I was using Immobilian Scout uh, and Immobilian24, okay. um, which was kind of, which was, it was useful, but again, it's only as useful as, it's, a, it's useful up to a point, that point being you're always, you're always behind the curve of people who are subletting their flats to their friends. So it's kind of, it's useful up to a point. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was pretty, that was pretty useful. And do you know what? I, I think, I really think that the rest of it, I just found out by speaking to people at work, people I spoke to in cafes and people I spoke to, you know, in bars and at raves. And I was just, you know, if I had a question, I would just, I would just ask people, maybe not at a rave, be like, you know, oh, where can I get some shortbread biscuits? Maybe, maybe work that into the conversation after a few minutes. I wouldn't recommend that as an opening line. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't recommend that as your opener. Um, you know, if anyone on the scene is the biscuit guy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All the, all Roy Biscuits guys. Man. All the t- <laughs> yeah, I've been called that a few times before, actually. Oh, okay, but- well, that's, that's, for, that, well, that's for the other podcast. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend just going straight in and asking people where, where the biscuits are at. You know, um, maybe, maybe buy, buy, the, buy the person a drink first before getting into any biscuit talk um but no on a serious note i actually just kind of talked to people whom i met out and that was more than useful enough all right roy so um we're, we're going to skip uh the secondary topic this week because there's just so much uh content that we've covered in berlin i think it's going to be really useful to people who are interested in life on the other side uh, of the channel so but just generally I'm interested to know if there are any particular figures in the digital scene that you look up to or you admire. Um, with the, the digital scene, I there are many, but I'm but I'm not going. I'm going to choose someone who's slightly left field cool. uh, and is not really part of the digital scene because oh. I don't want to say I don't want to say well, Steve Jobs or someone else. So like, yeah, God, Jesus, pass me the bucket. Um, yeah. do you, have you heard of Ray Dalio? No, I haven't. So Ray Dalio is, um, he founded, um, I think what's now the largest hedge fund in the world in terms of assets under management called Brid- Bridgewater Associates in, uh, this was about 30 odd years ago. Yeah, right. That name means a bell. Yeah. And 
Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about it for too long because the TED talk that he gave will describe and explain this a hundred times better because it's, it's from him. It will, it's just way better than a job that I could ever do. So all I'll say is Ray Dalio, Bridgewater Associates, TED talk on radical transparency. It's 15 minutes about him talking how he integrates a wealth of opinions from a number of decision makers, not just at the kind of the top level, but from team level as well, and how all of their opinions are kind of integrated into a model, which then models optimal decisions. And it's kind of like a, a proprietary model that Bridgewater devised and built and run that uses all of this data and all of these opinions and all of these basically models, all of these biases and stuff. And the reason I like it is because it shows that he's got real balls to just say, they, you guys know more than me. So I want to hear your opinion. And that takes balls. It takes a hell of a lot of balls, especially from someone who is as successful as he is. And through this radical transparency, which is this, this whole thing that they have at Bridgewater, basically everyone is heard, everyone's opinion is accounted for, and everyone's opinion is modelled. So um, for that for that reason alone, um, I'm gonna, I, I, th I think Ray, Ray Dalio gets he gets my vote for having for having big balls. <laughs> he should be in Viz. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so uh, well, I really like that choice, especially the, the left field on digital thing, because um, the more I spend time in digital, the more I realise it's got really, um, it's got surprisingly little to do with technology. Yes. Uh, and it's trying to solve bigger problems that are really in people's heads rather than mm -hmm. people's keyboards. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Well, we'll put a link to that in the notes too. Cool. So, hey, Roy, well, we, we covered loads of Berlin stuff. Um, mm -hmm. No time this week for a secondary topic. Um, but, hey, it's been, it's been really fun. And it's been lovely talking about a city that's very, very, you know, it means a lot to me, Berlin. And, and um, I'm really glad we had this opportunity to talk. And thank you for making the time. Yeah, no, listen, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have had this conversation. And, and it's funny because Berlin, even though I've only been here for a year and a half or so, Berlin is, is now a city that means a lot to me as well. So um, maybe it's just one of those cities that grows on you very, very quickly. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what's happened in my case. So, well, here's hoping that uh, however the dust settles, whatever happens, the choices that you want to have available to you, you have available to you. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Roy, if people are interested in finding out more about you, uh, how would they go about doing that? So there's, uh, considering I work in tech, I'm, I'm quite a Luddite. And I'm not, for example, on Twitter. You won't find me on Instagram either or any, or any basically anything social. 
you won't find me because I mean you know this, Kieran. I'm a deeply unsocial person. <laughs> um, but, but if people, but if people do want to accept the challenge of turning me more social and connecting with me, they can do so on LinkedIn if they search for R F Mohammed. That's R for Roy, F for Freddie, and Mohammed. Uh, M O H A M E D. They can is they can search for me and they. Is they the F actually for Freddie? No, it's not. It's for Farouk. I, d- I just said it. I just said it was for Freddie because it was the first thing that came to my mind because it was phonetic, right? So right, yeah, yeah, okay, rather than yeah. the actual middle name. <laughs> Roy Freddie Mohammed. Yeah. yeah, no, I I kind of wish it were my middle name. Yeah, <laughs> no, you mentioned it. I kind of wish it were, but no, it's Farouk. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, RF Mohammed on LinkedIn, and you can um, use me and abuse me um, if you connect with me um, via those means, but not unfortunately via any other means. Links, all the pertinent links that we've talked about, including that uh, stuff there, we will have in the show notes, uh, which you'll be able to find on www.ldnpodcast.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter at LDN Podcast. Roy in Berlin, Kieran from London. Roy, thanks a million. Um, Cheers. It's been real. Thank you.